You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated and time-consuming fast. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, Vanta. Vanta's leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. Watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. The NSA and CISA release a list of the 10 most common misconfigurations, along with identity and access management guidelines. Cyber cooperation between Russia and North Korea. Hacktivist auxiliaries hit Australia. Hacktivists and hacktivist auxiliaries scorn the application of international humanitarian law. The direction of Russian cyber operations. Dave Bittner speaks with Andrea Little Limbago from Interos to discuss geopolitics, cyber, and the C-suite. Rick Howard talks with John Holtquist, chief analyst at Mandiant, at the MY's 2023 Cybersecurity Conference about cyber threat intelligence. And finally, adventures in catfishing. I'm Trey Hester, filling in for Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Friday, October 6, 2023. We begin with some advice for organizations on staying secure. First, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency and the National Security Agency released a list of the 10 most common and troublesome misconfigurations as gleaned from NSA and CISA red and blue team assessments, as well as through the activities of NSA and CISA hunt and incident response teams. The report points to default configurations of software and applications, improper separation of user administration privilege, and insufficient internal network monitoring as key areas of concern, among other common security failures. The report includes an extensive account on the consequences of misconfiguration and also guidance on how to configure systems so as to avoid them. And CISA and NSA have also released guidance on addressing challenges related to identity and access management, NextGov reports. 
The guidance focuses on technology gaps that limit the adoption and secure employment of multi-factor authentication and single sign-on technologies within organizations. Microsoft has published its in-defense report for 2023, finding that the following basic security hygiene practices, such as implementing multi-factor authentication, can prevent 99% of attacks. The report notes, quote, A threat and risk-free environment is defined as an environment protected by proactive measures through tools and technologies to prevent ransomware. These include malware detection, endpoint detection and response, vulnerability management, security operations center enablement, the forced blocking of unhealthy devices, and brute force protection for operating systems. The researchers also found that human-operated ransomware attacks have increased by 200% since September 2022, and between 80 and 90% of these attacks originated from unmanaged devices. Lockbit was the most common human-operated ransomware strain in 2023. The report adds that ransomware operators are also increasingly exploiting vulnerabilities and less common software, making it more difficult to predict and defend against their attacks. In full disclosure, we note that Microsoft is a CyberWire partner. NSO Group's Pegasus Intercept tool has attracted the most public attention, but one of its competitors in the spyware market, Predator, may have seen even wider and potentially more disrupting distribution. The EIC reports that European companies have been funding and selling cyber surveillance tools to dictators for more than a decade, with the passive complicity of many European governments. The preliminary peak of surveillance excesses was most recently reached by the Intellex Alliance, an association of several European companies through which Predator software was supplied to authoritarian states. Activists, journalists, and academics have been targeted, as have European and U.S. officials. Cypherma looks at the most recent closeness between Moscow and Pyongyang and sees the potential for cooperation in offensive cyber operations. Such cooperation is easy and requires little coordination. Russia and North Korea share a common set of animosities, and both are already engaged against countries that are broadly hostile to the two regimes. The new friendship between the two countries hasn't, however, so far inhibited North Korea's attempts to collect against Russian targets. Microsoft reports that despite the recent meeting between Putin and Kim Jong-un, North Korea is still targeting Russia, especially for nuclear energy, defense, and government policy intelligence collection. Australia's Department of Home Affairs was subjected to roughly five hours of distributed denial-of-service attacks, which most news reports characterize as a pro-Russian hacker group. Cyberdaily.au attributes the action to no-name 057. The hacktivist auxiliary explained its purpose as retaliation for Australia's decision to send Slinger anti-drone technology to Ukraine. A post in No Name's Telegram channel said, quote, A state from the distant mainland of Australia decided to keep up with the global Russophobic trend and announced the transfer of the Slinger drone killer system to Kyiv. The affected sites have now returned to normal operation. An essay published by two officials of the International Committee of the Red Cross in which they outline the extension of international humanitarian law to cyberspace, has been rejected contemptuously by hacktivists on both sides of Russia's war against Ukraine, according to the record. Their reasoning, whatever their commitment, is essentially the same. The rejection was especially sharp from Ukrainian hacktivist groups and Belarusian dissidents. Microsoft has published an overview of the ways in which espionage is shaping the current state of cyber threats, concentrating on the activities of China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran. Of Russia, the report says, quote, Russian intelligence agencies have refocused their cyber attacks on espionage activity in support of their war against Ukraine, while continuing destructive cyber attacks in Ukraine and broader espionage efforts, end quote. Insofar as classical espionage is concerned, the Russian services are most interested in the UK, the US, and Poland, 
and looking for insight into the direction of policy with respect to the war against Ukraine and, tellingly, the progress of war crimes investigations. Influence operations seem increasingly coordinated with operations on the ground, and Russia is devoting a great deal of attention to the Ukrainian diaspora, seeking to intimidate global Ukrainian communities and sow mistrust between war refugees and host communities in a range of countries, especially Poland and the Baltic states. Once again, in full disclosure, we note that Microsoft is a CyberWire partner. And finally, Avast has discovered a romance scam that's using a tool the researchers are calling LoveGPT, which provides vast functionality over several different dating platforms, providing the capability to create fake accounts, interact with victims, bypass CAPTCHA, anonymize the access using proxies, browser anonymization tools, and more. The threat actor behind the campaign is also using ChatGPT to craft more convincing messages. LoveGPT's developer appears to be based in Vietnam and has been working on different versions of the tool for the last decade. The developer added ChatGPT functionality to the tool earlier this year. The primary focus of this tool is to create fake profiles on several dating platforms and to store and scrape data from the interactions with the platform's users, including their profile pictures, profile body texts, and communications. And just a heads up for CyberWire listeners, we'll be taking Monday off for the U.S. federal holiday of Indigenous Persons Day. And Dave Bittner will be back on the mic Tuesday. And if you're as lucky as we are, please enjoy the long weekend. Coming up after the break, Dave Bittner speaks with Andrea Little-Lombago from Enteros to talk about geopolitics, cyber, and the C-suite. Rick Howard talks with John Holtquist, Chief Analyst at Mandiant, at the MY's 2023 Cybersecurity Conference about threat intelligence. Stick around. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. Everybody, want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor, Splunk. You know, you need to keep operations humming around the clock, but potential disruptions are everywhere. Splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime. The world's largest enterprises rely on Splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient, resilient, and innovative. 
With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com slash resilience. A couple of weeks ago, Mandiant, now part of Google Cloud, hosted the MWISE Cyber Threat Intelligence Security Conference at the Washington, D.C. Convention Center. I ran into an old friend of mine, John Holtquist. These days, he's the chief analyst at Mandiant, but he's been doing cyber threat intelligence his entire career in both the government and the commercial sector. After he left government service, he transitioned to the commercial sector as the director of cyber espionage analysis at iSight Partners. FireEye eventually bought iSight Partners, then Mandiant bought FireEye, and then finally, Google bought Mandiant. And John has been on that entire journey. Let's just say that he knows where all the skeletons are buried. And we had a wide-ranging discussion about the current state of cyber threat intelligence, the late great Kevin Mitnick, and the revelations this year from Chain Analysis, a commercial vendor, about how crypto money is not as anonymous as we all thought it was. I started by asking John if there was a single theme to the MWISE conference this year. I've spent a lot of time with customers, and that's honestly it's super enlightening because I have my thoughts on what I think matters. Yeah, and then you go too. into the room, and they're like, this is what actually matters to me. And it's, <laughs> it's always great to sort of find where those two parts kind of connect. I think, obviously, the situation with the casinos in Las Vegas is the talk of the town or whatever you want to call it right Which now. Which is crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, okay, it's a big deal for them, but uh, yeah. why, are we, why is that more important than, I don't know, something I else? I mean, that, I think those, act, those actors are sort of uh, challenging a lot of the, you know, the ways that we do security, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I will tell you that I spent a lot of time sure. working with casinos of the years, and they are mature players, yeah, right? They are. They know what they're doing. They have been doing security since day one at casinos, <laughs> right? It's not an afterthought. It never was. And so, you know, it, it's uh, it's really interesting to see, it, you know, an actor, you know, hated more than one of them. And, you know, we're, we've been essentially trying to distill some of the lessons learned from that actor. Is there something we can just point to here? Like, uh, you know, we've been doing cybersecurity for 30 years. Yeah. They took advantage of something that we have not been paying attention well, to. Well, you know, it's it's funny. It's it's like everything old is new again, right? right? There are things that I think we thought about a long time ago that maybe we didn't keep watching because adversaries change yeah, yeah. and and we we maybe not have kept our eye on the ball on certain things. Just like, by the way, there was a talk about USB malware, right? Which was like the bane of my existence when I was in the government yeah. with, you know, with All the agent us, yeah. BTZ uh, situation. So that everything old is new again. I I think, you know, these are things that we've thought of before, but they've sort of refreshed a lot of our memory on a lot of these problems. And it's good because we're we're gonna start, you know, attacking some of these problems. So the the biggest one is their ability to social engineer. It's exceptional. They're English speakers. Um I keep talking about it's not just that they're English speakers, they're native English speakers. They're able to sort of develop a real familiarity with the uh the people they talk to. And uh, and and sort of emote in the in the, in the language, right? There are differences between how people in Western Europe discuss things, right, and how they emote on the phone, right? And these guys are locked in and able to to really convince somebody to help them. What that means is that you'll a help desk uh, will not only sort of you know allow them to get through these these uh, gateways that we've set up, but 
they'll almost pull them through because I think they they like them. You know, they want to help them. So we've gone back to more social engineering it's as just, a skill set. It's, right? it's a huge skill set, yeah. and, and I think that it exposes the vulnerability and in, in just you know the way that we set up these these help desks. Probably how we we incentivize them. Right, they're incentivized to be helpful. Right. That's how they're reviewed, yeah, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, telling somebody no may not actually be in their interest, you know, economically. And you know, if you work on the floor, and we got to make sure that that's not the case. I heard a story by Mitnick talking about help desk. He was saying that the way he would social engineer a target was that he would call in and help the help desk solve a problem, like he faked to be a contractor. Oh, wow. He'd solve the problem. And then a week later, he would call the help desk again and say, hey, I need you to fill you out remember this. remember me. Remember me fill out oh, this paper. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, so maybe we're coming back to yeah. those Yeah, I mean, the long play, yeah. by the way, is something we actually see from the other players, more than like the text, you know, like uh, email message situation, like the, the Iranians and, and the South Koreans. Well, and you'll, you'll see them social somebody for like a month now mm-hmm. before they ever bother to send that link or that attachment. But they're pulling people through they're hitting these business process outsourcers that are like third parties that, that manage a lot of our data. And the other thing that the, that's really important that they're doing is there's a focus on telecoms uh, and uh, SMS and particularly the ability to overcome second, like two-factor, right? Or, or the ability to get somebody to send a reset code or something directly to a phone that they control. Um, and it really proves that that we have to really rethink you know how how much we rely on on, on phone numbers as a, as a reliable way to sort of authenticate somebody because we're still trying to get people to use two factor on right on we're, phones, we're, right? we're, we're still <laughs> on this journey and I will say that I still you know I still think it's a speed bump right yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's just not an enterprise like it, it's not, a speed bump is not like a doorway right mm-hmm. like it's not enough for an enterprise maybe for certain for certain things it's, it's enough but. Um, if you know, if you are trying to protect an enterprise, it's just it's probably not going to. It probably won't do it. So you're on this panel at the MWS conference. Okay, it's called Cyber Intelligence in a Rapidly Changing World, and some big time luminaries mm-hmm. on that panel. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you are, but you know, <laughs> yeah. other people. There are okay? other people there. <laughs> right. Yeah. You no, know, we had some really interesting people on the panel who had spent a lot of time looking at crime from various aspects. Jackie from Chainalysis, I thought, had a really interesting. Uh, sort of view into the problem. She looks at the blockchain and she watches a lot of this the, this movement. And one of the things she said is she's seen sort of a drop off in some of this, the the uh, so many uh, criminal actors. And she attributes this that to maybe some success. And you know we're seeing zero days in the crime space now. And there's a thought that maybe some of the, there is actually an increasing barrier to entry. So some of our defenses may actually be working. So that's why we're talking about innovations here, right? Or, or like yeah, new yeah. problems instead of talking about, oh, it's the same old thing we've seen a thousand times. We're actually talking about zero days and new ways to social engineer and people are defeating feeding the second factor things. And that's good. That's That means that some of the things that we're doing may actually be working, which you never, ever hear in this business. Well, right? you said Jackie's from Chain Analysis. Uh, I heard about Chain Analysis from uh, Andy Greenberg's book, uh, yeah. Traces in the Dark. Yeah. And up until that point, I think most of us thought that, you know, blockchain was anonymous. I mean, yeah. we knew it probably could be broken, a, but yeah. but they blew that idea completely out of the it's water. It's a right? really strange I know. concept because I, that's what, <laughs> I think it was the first thing you heard about blockchain is that it would be— Anonymous, and that doesn't seem to be the case at all. Well, I mean, right? if you look at the design specs, it's supposed to be transparent. Yeah, it's a it's transparent really, it's ledger. A tra- it's the opposite, right? It's yeah. a transparent measure. 
And it's given us a tremendous amount of insight in a lot of adversaries, not just the criminals. Well, not just the regular, the good old fashioned criminals, but we also have like the North Koreans now. And we can see the scale of their program and it's in the hundreds of millions. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 And, and it's going right into a nuclear weapons program. I think you and I are in the wrong biz. Okay. We're in- yeah. <laughs> clearly. Yeah. <laughs> That's Rick Howard and John Holtquist speaking at the MWISE 2023 Cybersecurity Conference. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Andrea Little-Limbago. She is Senior Vice President of Research and Analysis at Interos. Andrea, it is always great to welcome you back. Uh, I want to touch base on geopolitics, something you and I uh, talk about uh, regularly, uh, but also how that intersects with cyber, of course, but the folks in the C-suite. Uh, what sort of insights do you have on that? Yeah, no, thanks. And it, you know, there, there are areas that tend to be disconnected in, mo- in most conversations, but what we're seeing at the C-suite level is a growing push both for greater cybersecurity domain expertise as well as geopolitical expertise. And that, you know, unfortunately, uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine kind of, you know, was a, the prompt, the forcing function on, on that regard. Mm. However, that, you know, some of that discussion had started earlier following the start of the U.S.-China trade war, but wasn't necessarily taken as seriously uh, as it is now. And it's been a good, you know, seven years since then. So the, the various kinds of sanctions and regulations and so forth really have just continued at a rapid pace. If nothing else, it's a compliance issue in many regards for some of these companies that the C-suite needs to be aware of. But it is thinking about, you know, how, how can you build a, a resilient company in these times of shifts and looking across, you know, the major shifts that are going on to really you know, shape this new normal. You know, clearly climate change will be one of them. The technological revolution that we're, that's underway is one of them. But the geopolitical landscape is shifting in ways that we have not seen for decades. And that is something that's starting to raise much more awareness. And we have folks on the board are starting to ask, how how are you trying to, how are you building your company to be resilient against some of those shifts? The the folks I speak to, you know, always emphasize that uh, you have to approach the C-suite in the language they understand, which tends to be risk, Um, material risk to the business. Um, and yet everything, it seems these days flows through cyber. I mean, even, uh, you know, the, the social aspects of social media, you know, the, uh, we're coming up on an election season here and that, you know, that affects everything as well. Are we seeing a heightened awareness from the C-suite to focus on those elements? I'd say a growing. I'm not sure I'd say heightened yet. Okay. I, I, think, <laughs> I, <laughs> Fair I wouldn't enough. go quite that far. <laughs> right. and, I, and I think to your point, I mean, and so much of the geopolitical politics and the risk associated with it are manifest through cyber. And that, mm-hmm. That's why we see so much of that interconnected. And so I, I think you know, there's a rising awareness. You know, I think the World Economic Forum did a, you know, what they, their findings from earlier this year that, you know, they did a polling of a bunch of you know, executives and their best estimate was that there will be some sort of cast, catastrophic cyber event in the next two years that is geopolitically motivated. And take that with a grain of salt, but it just shows that there is a heightened awareness at a, at a minimum, whether they're actually doing something is a little bit different about it. But those the, the connectivity between geopolitics and cybersecurity and then that having an impact on the businesses 
is something that just is, is growing in awareness. Those are questions that are starting to pop up. We're hearing them a whole lot more. And so we're starting to see some shifts in, in, in that regard. And I think what's interesting, and you, you mentioned social media, and that's, you almost think about that as being like the front end risks that are, that we see like social media and some of the information and all, and the various kind of, uh, we've, we've seen disinformation campaigns target at companies already mm-hmm. numerous times. So that's one component of it and the data security. And then some of the, the back end risks could be the, you know, the hardware that we're seeing right now that's being in the, in the companies. And there's actually a really good book along the lines that separates it by front end risks and back end risks for cyber and geopolitics that, um, it's called The Wires of War by, hmm. by Jacob Helberg that I would recommend. I, I really like that framing because it is sort of the software risk and then the hardware risk and then the data that goes along with it. And I don't think many companies are thinking about it that way quite yet. And you know, compliance is forcing some of them to when you have something like Huawei technology that is not allowed to be within your infrastructure. That's a right. forcing function on the hardware side. And then even some of the, some of the software apps, but even just you know, data security, data privacy laws are forcing as well. But I think they're, they're, it still is really nascent, I think, when it's getting into business discussions. Well, and, and we're seeing, you know, shifts of emphasis on bringing some core manufacturing back to the United States, you know, chip manufacturing, things like that. And the, but then uh, in the next breath, you hear the folks leading that effort saying, well, we don't have enough people here who are trained. And so it's going to take us longer than we thought it would. Strong geopolitical implications there. No, and it's huge. I mean, I was just reading, I think, the other day that um, the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing, the biggest semiconductor um, company, was building a, a plant in Arizona, and then it's getting delayed for the, for that reason, for inability to find all the labor that they need. So there are, it's, it's one of the things, that's, it's way easier said than done, but we are seeing the company shift in that regard. But we're also, it's interesting, I'm also seeing in, in some cases, out of governments or corporate executives, talking about the risk on one side and then in a different forum talking about how they're reinvesting say in China and growing a labor force or you know, growing up like a new plant there. And so it's very hard to see. You can't have it both ways. And I think some companies are trying to have it both ways right now because they've been able to. And that's, mm. you know, especially in the area of supply chains, you know, they've grown globally absent any thought about geopolitics for, you know, that's how that was globalization as it expanded over the, over the last few decades, really didn't take geopolitics into consideration and, and now it has to. So it's a really, it's a, it's, a, it's a big mindset shift that I think is slowly coming around. And for sure, some industries are, are thinking about it a lot more than others. Yeah, I, mean, I just think in my day-to-day life, I mean, for all of us, the, the number of items, consumer items, our, our mobile devices, our televisions, our t- everything that comes through China. And so you think about a company like Apple, who we all rely on you know, for, even if you don't have an Apple device, you know, someone who does, they can't just pivot and, and find another manufacturer to, with the scale and uh, uh, precision and, you know, all the things that they've come to expect that China can provide. Yeah, no, I agreed. And then even if you, going down to the materials that go into those uh, technologies, the critical minerals, that's really mm-hmm. becoming another uh, area of discussion and dispute between uh, China and say Australia, the US, European countries. And so that also becomes some, another area of concern is where if we're trying to decouple, where do you get the, the critical minerals needed to create the technologies? Where do you suppose we're headed here? Are we, are we on a trajectory of, for the short term, uh, increased tension or are we at some sort of equilibrium? Or where, where do you suppose we are? 
Oh, uh, you know, honestly, I think a lot of it depends. I mean, we're at a new equilibrium for sure following yeah. Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But with regard to China, I, so much depends on what China does towards Taiwan. I think we're at an equilibrium right now for the level of tensions. They're, they're you know, higher than they were several years ago. I, I don't foresee any rethinking of the sanctions on their major tech companies and their AI companies and so forth. There's the you know, unethical labor conditions that they have also is, impacts the regula- regulations of their companies. And I don't see that going away or us shifting policy. I, I've actually heard recently a couple of Congress folks calling for rethinking some of the policies towards China, but I, I just can't imagine that happening. Um, mm-hmm. Just given the wide scale IP theft and we keep finding, you know, there seems to be right. some new data breach linked back to, to China. So I, I can't imagine that happening uh, anytime soon. But really the, the unknown is China's behavior towards Taiwan. And that for many people has always been like, oh, that's a distant future. I, I think more, and the government for sure is planning for that more now. And I think many of the companies are starting to think that what would, what would happen then? Yeah, I think you know, Russia invading Ukraine was a forcing function on that. Uh, but I think some of the other aspects of U.S.-China relations have further raised the concern. Yeah. All right. Interesting times. Andrea Little-Limbago, thanks so much for joining us. Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out this weekend's edition of Research Saturday, where Dave Bittner sits down with Deepin Desai from Zscaler to take a look into DuckTale. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is me, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show is written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Trey Hester filling in for Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber.